First Corinthians is a really practical letter that Paul has written. He's writing it back to a church that he, that he knows, that he loves. He knows the folks by name. He, was, he spent 18 months there. And so it's a place that he, he knows the situation. Um, at the same time, they're writing letters back and forth to Paul, who's currently in Ephesus. Um, he's hearing from Chloe and some of the people um, of, of the things that are going on. And so there are all of these like behavioral kind of issues going on with the church in Corinth. So it's a, it's a church that's three or four years old. Um, it's, it's in the first generation after Christ. And so as, as this is going on, they're looking to see what will it look like for, for the people of God to make an impact in just a pagan world. And so they're in the city of Corinth, which is a port city. It sits on an isthmus, which means it has a port on both sides. It's become a, a really strategic travel city, port city. All the religions of the world have kind of flocked there. All the, the cults, because there's been financial wealth. There's just all, anything you can think of in a cosmopolitan city is there in Corinth. And what Paul is continually telling the church in Corinth is this. Look, we're not going to build a temple. We're not looking to compete with Diana or Artemis or these other, these other gods and goddesses. You, you have the spirit of the living God within you as individuals and within you as the church. And there is power in the gospel because I didn't come to you with fancy words or articulate speeches, but simply with truth. And he says, and and the reason we know there's power is because you believe it, and you've been transformed. And so now, in the midst of this city, the way that you're going to live your lives with one another and then outwardly focus to the rest of the world is going to reveal the very character and nature of God. So you're going to be a living temple, right? A living reflection upon who God is. And because of that, he's like, we gotta, we got to shape some things up. Not so that God will save you. He's already done that. But so that you will walk in the truth of who he is. And so this letter is just walking through 9, 10, 11 different kind of just behavioral things that have been going on. And so we've seen this so far through the first nine chapters. And if you'll continue with me, we're going to read just, we looked at 23 verses last week. We're only looking at four this week. Start in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all of the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we in an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." So we're going to stop there this morning. First, th- these last four verses of chapter 9 are, are kind of a transition from where we've been into, into the argument he's going to begin in chapter 10. And so it really fits with both. And so we're just going to kind of look at it alone this morning. And ultimately, what Paul is reminding is he's writing to the church there in Corinth is this. He's like, hey, we're in a race. And they, this language would have been super familiar to them. Um, there were actually the Isthmian Games that happened, and they bracketed the Olympics. And so the year before the Olympics and the year after the Olympics, so they were biannual games, they would put on these games um, where they would have competition. And there were four primary games. The Olympics are really the only ones that have kept up with us historically that you would know. If I mentioned the other two, you'd be like, yeah, I've never heard of them. But they were, they were major regional games where people would travel and compete. Thousands of people would arrive in Corinth. 
And so it wasn't just that he's using some language. He's taking something very familiar in their culture, something they would have celebrated and known, and said, look, you know that when runners run, when, when athletes compete, that, that there's, there's some things we can learn from this. And so we're just going to kind of start there this morning. So what does it look like as, as they're thinking about the athletes that would come into their cities, some of them who maybe are competing in these games, what does an athlete do, especially a world-class Olympic athlete? Well, they, they train, right? They train their body and their mind, and it affects every aspect of their life, right? Like that their diet is affected, and they're eating a very specific diet, meaning that there's some things they're going to stay away from, and some things they're going to eat in small quantities, and some things they're going to eat in major quantities. It's going to affect the way that they rest and that they sleep, that they're not going to stay up as late. They're going to, they're going to make sure that their body is getting the rest that they need, that they're going to be focused, that they're going to show self-control and restraint. And when there's opportunities to be out and to go and do things that they would like to do, they're not going to because they have their, their eyes set on something. There's, there's a goal, and there's a task out there. And so there was actually kind of a, a saying that would go around at this time was, don't sin against the Olympics. And the idea was, if you were going to compete, you don't sin against them. You train. And you had to agree that you would train for at least 10 months prior to competing. Um, obviously, now we're, we're in an era where, where athletes train professionally, right? Like, it's not a 10-month thing. They're training their whole lives for potentially, right, a 10-second race. <laughs> They're training their whole lives for that one dive, that one jump, that one run, that one match, hoping that they get to continue. And so they've, they've disciplined their body and their lifestyle and their thoughts and their sleep and their relationships all for a singular focus and a purpose. Their lives are not haphazard at all. Even in this day and age, you'll read the philosophers going, look, they, they have to, they stay away from, from certain foods and certain relationships and immorality because they're looking to compete. They're not doing what everyone else does. You know, it's funny when we watch the Olympics, everyone's like, man, I wish they would just get a regular guy out there, right? Because we want to see, because we marvel at what these athletes are able to do. The ones who will spend four years or, or 20 years getting to the point where they can compete on an international stage like that versus the guy that gets out and jogs every couple of days, right? Or the guy that doesn't even do that, right? And we start to look and we go, man, what a difference that life of discipline would be. And then we know that an athlete doesn't have just max exertion all the time. They're not just running around haphazard doing whatever they must all the time, but it's controlled, it's restrained effort. It's efficient effort. So Paul wants this image in our minds of world-class athletes and the effort that they put into succeeding and being victorious to remind us as the church, as believers, that we too are in a race, that we too are headed somewhere, that there's a finish line. And I think for a lot of us, we, we don't necessarily have this mentality right, that we, we view our Christian life somewhat haphazardly, like we can just kind of move with the winds and the currents of the time, and that we're not going anywhere. And Paul says, no, there's, there's something we're headed for. We're, we're, we're going there, and we're going there with intentionality, that our life is not aimless. Look at what he says. He goes, verse 26, so I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. 
And the idea there, because obviously shadow boxing can have an effect, but, but he's talking about a boxer who's just like out there swinging wildly and wearing himself out and not connecting, right? That he looks like a fool because he hasn't trained well. And, and, and the one that's controlled, right, is able to just respond in kind and, and wear the other guy out, beat him up. And the one that's out there waving wildly, the one that's running the race and goes off the course, they may be running just as hard as everybody else, but if they're not on the track, it doesn't matter. Then he's saying, like, we don't just have this race that we say, well, scatter and go. He's like, we, we've got to know that there's a finish line and that we're headed there. So what we have to understand that what this looks like is that when, when Jesus talks about following him, that that's verbs, right? It's something that we do. It's not something that we just know, that we are to pursue Jesus. We are to follow Jesus. Listen to how Paul says it as he writes to the church in Philippi. This is verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. You see what he's saying? He's like, I'm, I, I, I'm pressing on. And he has this language here of, I've got it, but I don't have it. And what he's telling us is, look, Jesus has started the race for us, right? He has put us on the starting gate. He has won the race. He has put us on the race. But then Jesus has said, run, go, get to me. And so Paul is saying, I I run because I've I've been rescued. I've been saved and I've been put on the race. But I have to continue to strive and put forth effort, not not to keep God's favor, but as evidence that I've received it. That, that I see the value and the worth of it. In chapter 9, what we've seen so far is this, that Paul has continually said, there's a cost to following Jesus. And I think the American church, to some degree, we've lost our willingness to say that. We want to say, it's, it's not going to inconvenience you. Just pray this prayer, believe this thing, and then you go do your life. And when you die at 85 in your rocking chair, you'll go be with Jesus. But there's a cost it changes us. It affects us. It affects the way we live. It affects the decisions we make and the things that we do and the things that we don't do because we've been put on a course, on a race, pursuing Jesus because he's revealed himself to us. He's rescued us. And so he's told them earlier in chapter 9, look, I don't want you going and eating the the meat sacrificed to idols in these temple celebrations. And that's going to cost you relationally and socially. It's going to cost you some status People are going to ask, why are you doing that? It's going to affect them. Paul then goes on to say, and I have laid down my right to receive payment from you so that you won't hold it against me and think that someone's in my back pocket paying me to say hard things to you or that I'm showing favoritism to a certain ethnicity. He's like, I have the right to receive it, but I'm going to lay it down. There's a cost, which means that he worked, and he worked hard to be free to preach the gospel. Chapter 10 is going to continue saying, look, Israel started off well, right? They started the race well, and then they they come off track. So Paul is saying, look, don't start the race well, continue, like start it well, but then continue it well, and let's end it well. This isn't a race that's proving your strength. It's not a race that's proving your intellect, that you know the most about Jesus or that you can run faster than everyone else. It's a race of faithfulness, of trust, of dependence, of endurance, 
of trusting the grace of God to keep you moving towards Him. It's why we have to, have to know this morning, right, that Jesus has lived the life we were meant to live. We will not live it perfectly. He's done it on our behalf. That He's gone to the cross to be crushed and humiliated and, and killed on our behalf for our sin, not just some nebulous other sin, for our sin. That if you're at peace with God this morning, it was because Jesus was crushed and you weren't. And then he defeated sin and Satan and death, proved that he was who he said he was, that all of his promises are true, because he walked out of a grave. And so then he says, look, because I've done that, and I've, I've revealed it to you, and I've called you by name, and I've, I've made you my own, I'm telling you, get out there and run. Get out there, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect you, and it's going to mean that there's things you're not going to do anymore, and there are things you're going to do that you've never done, but you're running, pursuing me. So why does the athlete do this, though? Like, why would an athlete spend years restricting themselves from pleasurable relationships or pleasurable drinks or food from excess? Like, why would they continually, like, conform their body for one game, right? For one race, for one thing. Why? Because they want the reward, right? Most of them are not, like, sadists going, I just, hey, I, just, I like to hurt. But that they've, they've, they've valued something over the pain, and over the training, and over the rigor. And they valued honor, and fame, and acclaim. They've, they value the cheering as people write long to say, I wish I had done that. I wish I was like that. Look at how impressive they are in hearing the throngs like applauding, and cheering, and chanting their names of having fame, and legacy. And Paul says, look, they do it so that they can receive a crown. And that crown, he's like, it's perishable. It's, it's literally, it was made out of, like, a wild celery, like, it made into a crown, and eventually into pine, right? But that little crown, not super valuable in and of itself. So why would an athlete do it? Because of everything that comes with it, right? That people would say, look at them. They're different. They're better. They're great and they're cheering, and they're applauding, and they long for that, and they're saying that, to win that race, that victory is worth the cost of not eating everything I want to eat, of not drinking everything I want to drink, of getting up early, of working hard, of going to sleep, of sacrifice, that every victory is going to have sacrifice. And they're saying that sacrifice is worth being remembered, being known, being respected, receiving the glory. They've given worth to it, and it's why when you think about um, watching the World Cup or you think about watching the Olympics, right, you see people up there as they're being given their gold medal, standing on that number one, and they're weeping, right? Because they're thinking about all that they've done to get to that moment, and they're debating whether or not, right, was it, was it worth it? Of all that they put into it, and most are saying, yeah, it was, because you know my name, and history will know my name. But the question Paul really wants is not, why does the athlete do it? That's, that's easier for us to answer. But why would we run the race? If we've been put on a race, why do we run it? Why would we not eat with some folks that, that he's asking them not to eat with? Why would we cost ourselves socially? Why would we do these things 
Why would we make this life more difficult in some situations? And he's going to tell us this. It's, it's for the same reason, right? In verse 25, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable, he's saying we're, we're doing it for the same reason, for the reward. Like that we're not just running for no reason, we're running for the reward. And it's to be where we belong. It's to be with those who we belong to. That we would be in a place of sinless perfection, of hope for all eternity, right? That we are running to be back with the one who created us, right? It takes us back to Genesis 1 where we see that God created a perfect world with relationship with God and man together, with no death and no tears, perfection. And then the rest of Scripture pretty much says, hey, that's not what it's like right now. But Scripture ends saying, but that's where we're headed, For those who know and trust and treasure and follow Jesus, we are meant to live with God forever in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship for all time. And he's saying, so if we get that, that we are meant to live with the one who has rescued us, who has freed us, who has redeemed us, who will vindicate us, who will bring about complete and perfect justice, he's like, we have to see that trajectory. We have to see that and we run towards it that we are co-heirs with Christ. It means the creator of the universe who it all belongs to says, you're my sons and my daughters. Like, you're part of the family. You, You get it all as well. That we would hear from our king, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Like, he's saying, like, we we're running for a reward. And ultimately, we're running for a different crown. Paul says here that it's imperishable. It means it doesn't go away. It's not simply a wreath that is made that will one day fade as our bodies fade. But he says this. This is in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's toward the end of his life, and he says this in verse 7. I have fought the good fight. Listen, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The point of the race is to keep the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's saying like there is a reward that God himself will give to those who have run the race and been faithful to it, right? Like that we're, we're running because there is a finish line. It's not haphazard. It's not aimless. It's not just about survival. It's about moving forward with intentionality. So there's some implications for us here. Right? If you talk to someone who's been married for very long or someone who's been a parent for very long, they'll tell you this. If, if you're just trying to be married or just trying to, like, raise your kids today, like, if it's just about today, you're going to take a whole lot of shortcuts. Because today, all I want is for you to leave me alone. Right? Or today, I just want you to go to sleep, and, right? And so we, we bargain with our kids, or we say, it's not that big a deal, we'll deal with it later. Or with, you know, with Carmen and I, if we're having a disagreement, and I'm like, I don't really want to deal with you. But we're going to be okay, so I might as well deal with you so that we can go ahead and be okay, because I'm not going anywhere, right? And so it has this implication for an argument even now, because why draw it out? Because I'm not going anywhere, and you're not going anywhere. But if we don't have that trajectory on our marriage right? Then it, then it affects today, and now I just kind of want to win, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be mean. Or we look at our kids, and we go, hey, you're three, and that's kind of funny now because I can still control you, but if you're 18 and you're doing that, we've got a problem. 
And so if we don't have a trajectory of what we want our children to look like at 18 or at 21 or wherever it is you're going for, then, then we, we get lazy today. But if we have this vision for where we're headed, then we're willing to be more disciplined today to interact with them, to deal with them. So Paul is calling us to the same sort of thing. He's like, if we can see that you are headed like that your life is headed towards God, that there will be a day where you will stand before him and you will either stand before him covered in the righteousness of Christ, having run a faithful race and persevered to the end, and you will be rewarded and vindicated and brought in and all will be yours. Or you will stand there saying, covered in not in Christ's righteousness, but in your own lack thereof, having not run a faithful race, but an aimless race, a haphazard race, and you will be judged by the rightful judge. And you will be separated from him forever. So Paul's saying, if we can get in our mind that there is, that day is coming, and we're real good about focusing on today. So he's like, but if we can see that that day is coming, then we will run a race with intentionality and with discipline and with faithfulness. And so maybe the first place we need to start this morning is this. You actually have to run. Right? Like we actually have to do something. That it wasn't that there were Olympic, Olympic athletes who would say, I know all about those races. I can think about them better than you can. Right? They actually had to train and do something. And so this isn't just that we know some facts about Jesus. It's that we pursue him that we actually treasure him and follow him. And in that involves our mind, but it also involves like action and moving. That we would understand that there is a cost. And I think there's this like false idea that if it's spiritual, it should be easy. Right? Like that once Jesus saves us, it should just be like, like, like a red carpet is rolled out before us. And so if we want the job, God snaps his finger and gives us the job. If we want the, right? Like we just think everything will be easy. That if I'll sit down and the heavens will open as I read my Bible, right? And when I pray, I've got a, like this direct line, and, and I'm just going to hear the audible voice of God. And when I show up at church, everyone's going to love me because I'm a believer, right? And we have these ideas that it's, it should just be easy and simple. And so when it's hard, we're like, it must not be spiritual, or I must be doing something wrong, or something must be off here. And what Jesus has said is there's a race, and there's a cost, And just as we understand that an athlete puts forth effort, blood, and sweat, and tears, and restraint, that we too, as we pursue Jesus, there's going to be some cost here. That we're going to lay down some of our appetites and some of our desires, the things that will easily entangle us. Because we see that there's not this temporary reward of pleasure and enjoyment, but there's an eternal, better reward waiting for us. that we will suppress some of our desires, that we will show self-control and restraint, right? Words our culture does not like. To say we're not going to do those things because I'm headed somewhere. And we trust the athlete who says, I can't drink that, I can't eat that, I can't go out tonight, I can't do that because there's a race coming. We look at a brother or sister in Christ, he says, I can't, I can't do that because I'm pursuing hard after Jesus. And we're like, man, you are such a legalist. Right? 
And so motivation here is going to matter, but we have to understand that there is a cost. And it's, remember, it's not that the athlete doesn't think that things are good or pleasurable. They've just valued something over that. It's not that you're not going to long sometimes for some of those things, but it's that you value like intimacy with Christ more than short-term pleasure. It's what the author of Hebrews says about Moses, that he could have had it all in Pharaoh's kingdom. And he says, but he laid down the temporal, temporary pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of sin for a far greater reward. Paul here is both teaching, but he's also warning. So we have to be reminded that some of us right now, we're getting a little slow and we're looking to exit the race a little bit. Paul's warning. He's saying like, hey, you don't, there are not, there aren't pit stops here. Pursue Jesus. That's why he says in Galatians 6, like, don't grow weary in doing good. That we have to persevere to the end, and that's why we need the Spirit and the grace of God. Church, this isn't based on your circumstances. The race doesn't stop because you got married. The race doesn't stop because you had a baby. The race doesn't stop because you're still single. The race doesn't stop because you're in college. The race doesn't stop because you're sick. All right, now listen, there is grace in all of those. And so all of us will be running the same race, and it may look a little differently. Because what the race looks like is faithfulness, and it's trust, and it's dependence upon the king. And so you know what? If you are 19 and single and in college, you've got a lot more time to meet with the Lord than a, a mom with three kids under four, Right? And so, it's not that we're comparing notes here as to how much time you're doing this and how hard you're running in that, but it's are you moving forward towards the king, right? There's grace in your circumstances, but you don't get to hit pause on the race because of your circumstances. Y'all, a race is hard. Sometimes you fall and you stumble. What Paul is talking about here is then we get back up. It's not that we run the perfect race. It's that we continue moving forward. So the language Paul's using here is of like the, the one that's been in the, like, almost like a gladiator arena, and he just keeps getting back up. And people are like screaming, like, lay down. Like, why are you taking more punishment? And he keeps getting back up until eventually he has won the crowd over, and they start cheering. Saying, Look at that. Some of your lives have looked like that, of you just being constantly stomped to the ground, and like you are like battered and bruised emotionally and relationally, and you keep getting up saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. And you get knocked down again, and you are getting up, and you're saying, you are faithful, and you are good, and I am trusting you, and you continue to move forward. This isn't the first to the finish line. This is getting to the finish line. It is continuing on the path set before us to trust that Jesus is good despite our circumstances, to cling to Him, to hope in Him, to continue to fight. Paul is not talking about ego and strutting because he's got it all together. He's talking about the one that is battered and bruised but is continuing to move forward because he believes the finish line is coming and the reward there is worth it. Our motivation matters greatly. Why are you doing it? 
Is it to impress someone? Wrong reason. Is it to fool yourself into thinking you're a Christian? Wrong reason. Is it to be with and know your king? That's the reason, right? Because Paul is warning that some are running, but their running is aimless, and they're not even aware that it's aimless. He's like, so he's warning them, are you, point, are you headed towards the king? Like, are you running the right race? Because some are going to find out that they were running around haphazardly, right? Literally like a chicken with their head cut off, and they weren't even running the race set before them. I don't know if I didn't ask Carmen for permission to share the story, so she's about to panic. But in, um, in, if, if you've ever been with Carmen, Carmen's not the fastest runner you've ever seen, right? <laughs> um, and so she told me when she was in high school, they, if you wanted to play basketball, you had to run, right? And that they loved the foggy mornings, right? Because if you were on the far end of the track, you could just basically stop and walk a little bit, right? Because you're like, they couldn't see you as you're running on that far end. She's like, I wasn't going to be a track star. I didn't really care. Like, I was only doing what I had to do, right? In this spiritual race, that's the one that's looking for every shortcut, Right? It's the kid that, who's doing up-downs, and as soon as the coach turns the back, right, they're just kind of like laying there, like, and they're ready to hop up if the coach turns, but they're going to take every break they can, right? That was me, right? Like in baseball practice versus the one who's going, it doesn't matter if the coach is watching or not. I'm working as hard as I can because there's something there that I want to grab onto. And so they work, and they're, they're motivated, right? Paul is saying, are you running the race because people are watching or are you running the race because you want the king? And you want the reward of him looking at you saying, well done, good and faithful servant, as a husband and as a father, as a man, as a, right? as a, as a wife, as a mother, as a, whatever it was that you, God has called you to. That you were good and faithful in what I've given you in the circumstances. You suffered well. You, per, you persevered. Well done. And my race is not against you. Right? My race is really against me as to whether I see that Jesus is worth it and that I'm willing to trust Him and persevere in the midst of it. And so we want to be motivated because of who He is. But y'all, what Paul is saying is that there is some discipline. Look at verse 27. I, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. He's saying there are going to be days, right? Just like an athlete has days they don't want to get up. They still do it because they know that it costs them something if they don't, that all the work they've done would be for naught. There are going to be days you're not going to want to read your Bible, and there are going to be days you don't want to pray, and there's going to be days you don't want to go to church, and there are going to be days that you don't want to obey, right? And Paul is saying, but we discipline ourselves. We say, I know mentally this is good for me, so I'm going to do it anyway. Now look, if you've gone for weeks and months, and the desire is not there, then we need to, something's going on. But if you just have, right, average week, three or four days, you get up, man, I can't wait to go to the gym. A couple days where I'm like, ah, I can kind of do it. And then that one day we're like, I ain't doing it. Right? That spiritually, it's not that different. Right? But we continue to do what is right and good and healthy for us because we have our eyes on a bigger prize, and that is bigger than how I feel today. An athlete has trainers, coaches, those around them to support them. Church, we're not asking you to do this alone. That you, you have to be taught how to read Scripture. You have to be taught really how to pray, right? We, we do this together. 
These things are simple. They're just not easy. And, the, and so, but we have purpose. And the last thing is this, that Paul ended last week saying, I do all of these things. I'm willing to lay my freedoms down for the sake of the gospel. That it's the reason we see people go overseas to dangerous situations, right? Where as Americans, we kind of use safety as an idol. Got to be safe. And people are willing to put themselves in harm's way for the sake of the gospel because they've seen the finish line. And they're saying that's worth it. That that's worth more than maybe having a shortened life. It's why we would fight our comfort, which is all around us, that is looking to distract you. It's looking to say, just sit down. Just watch something. Just read something. You, like, you, you know Jesus. You don't really need to do anything else, right? Everything in our life is trying to pull us out of the race to get you standing there watching the others run by going, I'm glad I'm not running. Let me give you one example of this, and then we're going to be done. When we, seven years ago, seven and a half years ago, when we were starting Redeemer, there was a a group of about 13 people that met in my home um, several nights, every week, but um, at least one night a week, and it was good, right? We we loved it. It was was sweet, and we prayed together. We we laughed together. We, We dreamed together. We dreamed of what Redeemer might be and what the Lord was doing in Pampa, and, and if we would all be lying if we didn't say there wasn't a temptation to just say, this is really comfortable and really good. And we could just stop here. Like, the, the temptation was there. But what the, what the gospel says is, is we pursue on, we move forward, we don't stop. Because there are others who don't know Jesus yet. There are others who, who don't walk in community yet, who have been hurt by the church. And so we continue to move forward. And so what it means is that for most of those 13 people, we don't interact um, at Redeemer as much as we would like long to or even want to. But what we've done is we've gone side by side and just started running and, and grabbing and saying, hey, we, got, we have eternity for that. But we've, we've got a race we're running, and we don't want to grow weary in it. We want to continue to see others because Jesus is worthy of it. And so we laid aside some of our temporary relationship comfort and ease for the sake of the King, for the sake of the gospel. And that's not to to applaud anyone. That's simply to say, like, this is what this looks like, is that sometimes it's laying down a temporary good for an eternal good because He's worthy so the band is going to come here in just a minute. We're going, to, we're going to sing to our king. For some of you, it may be that this morning the king is saying to you, I'm calling you to get in the race for the first time. Like I'm, I'm revealing myself to you, and I just want you to run hard after me. There's folks here who will help you do that. Some of you this morning, it may be what needs to happen is you just need to repent because you have all but slowed down or gotten out of the race. And the spirit this morning is saying, right? Don't grow weary in this. It's a narrow road. Continue to fight and move. Your circumstances are not an excuse. Some of you, maybe this morning, what it is is the Lord is just saying, hey, your knowledge of me isn't, isn't it. It's, it's actual, like, moving. It's, it's coming after me. And then some of you, maybe this morning, it's that you would go, I'm not very efficient. Like, I, I feel super haphazard and aimless. 
and you just need somebody to kind of train and to coach you and, and where to go in Scripture and where to go in prayer. And, and you've got a family here who wants to do that. That's, that's what we're trying to be here is that we're just locking arms and saying, hey, let's, let's pursue Jesus together. And as you're down, I'm, I'm going to help you up. And as I'm down, you're going to help me up. Because we're, we're, we're moving all in the same direction towards Him. Would you respond as the King is leading you to this morning? Let's pray.